You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, folks! As you know, Black Diamond is one of the major sponsors of the Enormo Cast, and while the money they've handed me has disappeared into the dark hole of debauchery, they also hand money over to some important organizations, like the American Alpine Club, like the Access Fund, and like the Nature Conservancy, the people who control a major part of Indian Creek. So when you're spending your money on new gear, consider the fact that not only do they make great gear, but they're also trying to protect the places that you're going to use it. Black Diamond, proud sponsor of the Enormacast. So let's say you've taken the advice you've heard on the Enormacast and played it ice climbing cool with that special climbing friend, going on trip after trip like your family, even though you've had the hots for him or her since they burned you off your proj and flips and a ratty pair of yojimbos from the lost and found. Well, if the perfect belay isn't conveying your longing, perhaps the climbing-inspired jewelry and accessories of Peter Gilroy will help you put the punctuation on that date that's not a date, might be a date, climbing date. At PeterWGilroy.com, you'll find jewelry, money clips, belt buckles, hats, and more, all inspired by the rock and the mountains on which your love has flourished. So please, before you resort to the lean-in or the forgotten sleeping bag or the embarrassing confessional after a 12-pack around the campfire, try a classier approach with a spectacular gift from PeterWGilroy.com. And if you crash and burn... Know that Peter and the Normacast still appreciate your support, even if your partner does short rope you to the curb. And remember, enter Enormo at checkout for a discount. But keep that part to yourself. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, That's a big nice. place. You sold that out. Out. I'll say, we really out. should. Uh, Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is December 3rd, about 8 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. This is episode 94 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Alpinist. That's right, I have an Alpinist on. Mr. Colin Haley sat down a few months ago, finally getting this one out. And all I want to do today before the interview is thank everybody for listening and thank everybody for supporting the podcast. 
coming up on my birthday, not my personal birthday, but the Normacast birthday here. I think next episode is birthday episode. And I uh, can't believe it. Four years, about to hit four years of Enormacasting. Or is it three? See, I've even lost track. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for being out there. Spread the love. Tell people about the show. There's still some folks that haven't heard about it. We are climbers. We need to stick together. We are good people. We are a cut above. And I'm glad you're all out there doing your thing, loving nature, loving and protecting each other. It's an awesome community. So thanks a bunch for being there. Yeah, so we're in it, man. I'll, I'll, we're recording already. And uh, <laughs> one last one, maybe, or maybe there's one more from the undisclosed location here in Salt Lake City, which probably at this point when I put this out happened like months ago. But these things don't, they don't, they don't sit and sour like milk. At least I hope they don't. I'm sitting here with Colin Haley, who has uh, agreed to sit down and uh, interrupt the very end of his climbing day. Although you ended up climbing in the gym, is that right? Yeah, Gone. and we were like worked in a couple hours. Yeah, that's the cool thing about this climbing. Isn't interrupting gyms, right? anything. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, but Colin's flying out tonight, so we're just kind of trying to trying to like squeak this one in before we have to go to the airport. So, thanks a lot for coming and sitting down. How's it going? Uh, it's good. You know, it's, I haven't been to OR in a few years, so uh-huh. it's it's been hectic, but it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like a fitness that you need. That, a fitness yeah <laughs> like you, know? you have to like build up the like socializing fitness to hang out at or i think that all the people who are actually like doing proper business yeah they i mean they came from this this meeting last weekend and they'll go to this next one right. so they are they're fit yeah and they're and you and they're you trained them. yeah and you see them in the you know walking right <laughs> like walking like they're ready and they've got their shit and and then there's all these like peripheral climbers hanging around that in in your case, I mean, did you just come directly from some trip? Um, not really. Oh, okay. I mean, I pretty much flew down from Seattle and flying okay. back to Seattle. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not trained for this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're used to being yeah. in the mountains and and not having to talk all the time every day. Yeah, yeah, and I think climbers obviously like one of the things we we like about climbing is that that's how we spend our time. Although you know, as a sport climber in rifle, I actually have been training for this all summer. <laughs> Because that's all we do. The first, the first group of people I hit when I walked in the door, I was like, "Hey, what's going on?" We we're all just like transported ourselves from from the base of the project wall and rifle to the floor of right. OR. All the same people, exactly the yeah. same people. You know, Andrew and his intern Luke, who's been climbing out there, and Dave Alfrey, who's been climbing out there all summer or for the last few weeks. It's just yeah. like, "Hey, what, what's your project?" You know, like, <laughs> same anyway. conversation. Yeah. So I have been training. You have not. Um, but you're going to give me an hour of, of good talk. So I'm excited to have you here. I don't get a lot of alpinists in, in, in the seat. And, uh, I did just interview Mikey Schaefer. Nice. Although again, they, when I put them out, they might be a little bit apart, but you guys 
you know, come from this background down in Patagonia. And we're going to get into sort of your total climbing resume. But currently and in the last few years, you know, Colin Haley and Patagonia, you know, are in the same sentence all the time. It's been like my main focus for sure. Yeah. For how long? Well, it's like really been my main focus for like the past four years, I'd say. Mm -hmm. But I've been going down there for 12 years now. Oh, man. And I've only missed one season Mm -hmm. in that time period. And so like, yeah, it's been my favorite place to climb for over a decade. Right. It's just that in the last few years, I kind of intentionally spent less time in the Himalaya getting weak on high altitude mountains so that I could progress technically and get better at Patagonia. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for me, <clears throat> I've done so much like climbing snow and ice slopes in my life that going to Patagonia for me is like, it's all about rock climbing. Right. You know? Like for, you know, a lot of like Yosemite climbers go there and before they go to Patagonia, they're like, oh, I need to like practice my Alpine climbing. And for me, before I go to Patagonia, it's like all about practicing my rock climbing. Right. Right. So you, how old are you? I'm 30. How long have you been climbing? <clears throat> well, it depends on what you consider climbing, you know, because like a lot of people like went top roping their first time climbing, mm-hmm. but I had, you know, this kind of like classic cascades apprenticeship where, you know, I've been hiking my whole life and then doing like third class scrambles. And then, um, and then I, my first roped climbs were when I was 11. So okay. about 20 years ago, but right. you know, that was like fourth class rock and like glaciated stuff. Yeah. I guess about 20 years. Okay. And it sounds like maybe it was in, in a family legacy. Yeah. My dad, um, started taking my brother and I climbing when we were pretty young okay. and, um, and he wasn't like a serious climber, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he was definitely a climber and a kind of climber, which is becoming increasingly rare today, at least in terms of percentage. Like my dad never owned a pair of rock shoes. For instance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's, a, we were talking up by Seattle. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's a legacy up there. Yeah, sure. totally. I mean, and it's, I, I mean, it's, if there's one place left that that's still a legacy, it probably is. Yeah. There. Or in the U S yeah. In it's the U S anyway. Yeah. Washington and Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, I mean, in what you just said is interesting in the U S because that's definitely an Alps legacy oh yeah you know yeah people from from birth are like practically out scrambling in the mountains but you know it's not like so much a cultural decision it's just terrain yeah there's not really much real alpine terrain in the u.s Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much there's a bit in washington and there's a lot in alaska and that's it Mm -hmm. so your himalayan climb and actually that was kind of a a a thing that i didn't really even think about in terms of sitting down well you probably haven't known that I've been there much because I haven't really been very successful over there. Okay. <laughs> so I, well, what I wanted to ask you, is that personal or, or are you guiding over there? Oh no, personal. Okay. Yeah. It's all personal. Yeah. I'm not a guide. Uh huh. Yeah. And it sounds like in your, in, in your chronology there that that came first before like the Patagonia thing. Well, not really. Like I, or they were mixed together in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, you know, kind of like snow and ice, big cold mountain stuff is more my background. Mm-hmm. But I've always done that and, you know, alpine rock climbing stuff. Um, it's more that I've always been better at the snow and ice stuff. And I was doing both for a bunch of years. And I kind of realized that <clears throat> when I spend so many days a year hanging out on glaciers and in base camps, mm-hmm. 
and so few days a year actually rock climbing. I was getting better at rock climbing, but really slowly. And so I basically just like, yeah, made a conscious decision. Like I can't do everything. So I'll spend a few years like trying to progress in one area, Mm -hmm. which like in my weakness, basically. Right. Yeah. At the time. So when you say you, you were better at, this is kind of a, it just jumped into my head, but when you said you were better you know, at sort of snow and, and, and that kind of climbing yeah, and glaciers and all that sort of thing. What does that actually mean to be better <laughs> at that? I mean, I mean, I understand what it means yeah. to be better at like straight up ice climbing. Right. But is it just like a matter of, of being aware at, at how that medium kind of works? Well, I mean, I mean kind of like the general sense of knowing how to climb big mountains and being okay. used to the terrain and, whatnot because alpine climbing is very rarely about the individual pitches Mm -hmm. you know most of like the hardest alpine climbs in the world there's no single pitch on the route that at a crag would be that big of a deal right um you know and so that makes it sound like oh it should be easy right you know but there's like so many nuances to it and um i've done so much of that kind of climbing in my life that going and climbing something like the Cassine Ridge on Denali. It's like, I just, I know how to do that. Okay. You know? Right. Um, so that's what I mean. Like From I've, start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning like, you know how to approach it. Yeah. Know, from like that's from uh, that kind of to, thing is right. And that's second the whole nature. thing. Okay. And you know, for a lot of climbers in the U S the Cassine Ridge would be like a really big deal to them. Whereas, you know, still when I, like when I was in the valley last fall, I was super psyched to send the crucifix. Right. Which, you know, if you have the Cassine Ridge in one hand and the crucifix in the other, the Cassine is like what we would all consider to be like a way more badass accomplishment. But sure. for me, it's like kind of easier. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's a lifetime thing. The, the crucifix, you know, it's a good heart route. But if you're yeah. a pretty good climber, like it's, it's, you know, right. a worthy objective. It's been free solid, so. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, ever since Alex Honnold did whatever, you can't possibly, that's no longer like a marker of anything. Yeah, he yeah. free souls really hard. Yeah, but, I, uh, I also, I was good friends with Andreas Franzen. I don't know if you ever know who that, knew who that was. He was a really badass extreme skier. Oh, okay. And so, you know, it's like in the U.S., people are like, oh, yeah, that climbs hard, but, you know, it's been free solo now, so mm-hmm. whatever. And like, with Andreas, you know, there'd be some alpine climb, and you're like, well, yeah, you can't really like consider that a climb anymore because Andreas skied it. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> no. Early in my very brief alpine career, uh, I was in New Zealand and climbed a route that, you know, and we were, you know, this is going to be the biggest, hardest thing in our life. And of course, you know, while we were doing it, they filmed some. Guys skiing, guys skiing it. down it. So nice. It's just like, okay. <laughs> you guys were like in the footage. <laughs> well, our, 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 actually our, our, um, unfortunately for them, our, uh, our foot, our, uh, footsteps were in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. We kind of, you know, fucked up their, yeah. their shot in a way. But, but it, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's just kind of funny. You're just yeah. like, well, maybe I should just stand up instead of yeah. like leaning over and holding on. Yeah. Cause that guy doesn't seem to be having a problem. Like, <laughs> totally. Like in rock climbing, the difference between like a team pitching something out and someone free soloing it is just like in the Alps, like some people like climbing up the ice face versus skiing down it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to like, uh, get a feel for that. And because it's so, it's out of my purview. Like I said, my, my uh 
Alpine career was, was not very long. I, I aspired to do that. And then, I don't know, a series of things led me way more towards rock climbing. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, mostly like being cold. <laughs> um, but so you, you were roped up climbing, you said around 11. Yeah. Um, probably with your dad or yeah. with friends of the family. And then like, you know, so that would have been like late or mid nineties, you know? Mm-hmm. So not that long ago, but because it was with my dad, we were using gear that was from pretty much the late seventies. <laughs> So I, I learned to climb on like eight mil static rope that actually was, you know, for slinging hexes, but my dad just used it as a rope and right. I learned to climb in a swami belt and okay. no helmet, right. no belay devices. Like it's kind of weird because I was, you know, I'm not that old, but I was basically learning to climb in the same way that people did like 25 years before I was born. Right. <laughs> and you just thought it was normal because that's what kids do like yeah well you know yeah. you're 11 you know right. i had no idea so what did it look like when you uh when you did start sort of breaking out on your own and and you know all these things they whatever the pursuit is i don't care if it's you know gymnastics or it's a sport or whatever there's for people who continue to pursue it there's a moment where they un they sort of get away from the the person who's teaching them and decide well this is my goal and this yeah. thing I'm going to go do instead of like, you know, your dad shaking you awake at two in the morning and yeah. being like, let this is what we're doing. You're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what did that look like in terms of transitioning to being your own climber, so to speak? You know, I, I don't even really remember that uh-huh. because it pretty much was like so early for me. Like already when I was 12 years old, I just really wanted to go climb mountains. You know, I like <clears throat> read all this classic mountaineering literature and, for whatever reason, I was just like super taken by it. Mm-hmm. And so it was never like my dad, you know, like, come on, let's go climb a mountain. Right. And and me and my brother like, oh, I don't know. It was always the opposite. Like, oh, cool. come on, like take us climbing. And my dad, you know, it wasn't like his main thing. He was really into windsurfing and he was busy with work. And so he would like take us out a couple times a year, but I wanted to go all the time. Right. Yeah. So when did you graduate to going all the time? Well, I mean, obviously you probably needed a driver's license. Yeah, to that's start the with. thing. Basically, yeah. from when I was like 13 to 16, I was just totally desperate and I would catch rides to go climbing somewhere whenever I could and I would take public buses to like the local outdoor climbing structure and just like as much as I could, but I was totally desperate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I built a little home bouldering wall in our house and uh and did whatever I could. But once I turned 16, that was basically like the magic moment. And mm-hmm. from then till now, I've pretty much been climbing all the free time I have. So what were like, uh, you know, some of these, I'm thinking about, again, so now you get your driver's license and the whole, the world not the world, up. but the whole, you know, within, you know, a thousand miles at least opens up. Yeah. What were some of these first trips and who were you climbing with? Well, um, when I was like 14 and 15, I was climbing mm-hmm. a lot with my cousin mm-hmm. who's two years younger than me. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was climbing a lot with so him. He's like 12 or 14. Yeah. Because <laughs> his dad was actually keen to go. Okay. So, um, you know, whereas my dad kind of wanted to do his own things, his dad was like, yeah, I'll go. And so we had a way to get there and mm-hmm. the three of us went out and climbed a bunch together. And then as soon as I turned 16, like, you know, it's not that we didn't like climbing with his dad also. It was fun. But then we could go pretty much every weekend. And so 
I mean, I very specifically remember I turned 16 on like a Thursday or something. That weekend, we went and climbed Liberty Bell up at Washington Pass. And then uh-huh. the next weekend, we went and climbed the East Ridge of Forbidden Peak. And I think the weekend after that, we went to Index. And it was just, yeah. Right. Just started hammering it out. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I mean, it was like amazing for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and once I had a driver's license, then you start meeting all sorts of other climbers. And then I started to meet people who became mentors and and yeah, opens up everything. Right. Like who? In the Cascades, like right around then, I I learned a lot from a couple guys, Sean Courage and Andreas Schmidt, mm-hmm. who were just really active Cascade climbers at the time period and and fortunately were stoked to go climbing with me some of the time. Right. Um, and a couple years later, I started climbing a lot with another guy, Mark Bunker. And Sean and Andreas, we did a lot of summer climbing together and it was usually just like, kind of fast paced simul soloing missions mm-hmm. and um and with mark bunker i learned kind of like more full-on alpine climbing we did a ton of winter climbing together okay and winter climbing in the cascades is actually really intense um because unlike winter climbing in the sierra or colorado the in the cascades the weather is so different between different times of the year so in the summer it's basically like sunny almost every day Right. And in the winter, it's basically precipitating almost every day. Okay. So you go out and climb these mountains and it's just dumping snow constantly. And there's no like good ice. You're always like scratching around on like snow covered rock and, and the days are short and everything. And, and so from that guy, Mark Bunker, I basically learned the skills to then go climb really big mountains in Alaska and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And what was like the age difference? But, um, I mean, are you climbing with contemporaries or are these no. guys a lot older than you? <laughs> yeah, basically, um, all three of those guys I just mentioned are all like 15 years older than me. Right. Yeah. So I, they saw something and like, okay, this kid's like super stoked. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was like basically as motivated as people get and um, available and I don't know. Yeah, I'm lucky. Um, I climbed a little bit with some guys who weren't as old as them, but still like, my youngest climbing partners during that period were like uh, five or six years older than me. Mm-hmm. Well, they're probably lucky too. I mean, because like it's a little different for me, but I, I mean, I end up climbing a lot with people 20 years younger than me because they're like, you just right. said, they're available. They're psyched. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, yeah, so they probably saw something and like, all right, well this kid will go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> you know, I think um, I was like, barely climbing 510 at the time mm-hmm. and so if i had gone cragging with like sean and andreas it basically wouldn't have worked right but for like going out and doing big days in the mountains i could kind of hang mm-hmm. much better than at the crag and you you said your age and and but do the math for me about what years was this i mean what era um so yeah this would be like you know the middle of high school for me like um 2001 2002 right yeah that area and did you were you like uh i mean you said you're you lived in seattle what i mean we're talking the burbs what kind of like yeah i was originally in seattle itself but mm-hmm. i mostly grew up on mercer island i don't know if you've been there it's it's not seattle proper like right. from a like municipal standpoint mm-hmm. and it's definitely like suburbia but at least it's pretty close the closest point on mercer island and the closest point in seattle are 
a two minute drive apart is this one bridge. Right. But, but it's definitely a different vibe. Yeah. Well, I was just curious because, you know, when I hear about anybody I interview on the show or any of my friends or anyone I know that managed to climb early in life, uh huh. you know, and again, you're not that old, but it wasn't like a through the climbing gyms kind of upbringing. It's right. like, I'm always super jealous because like I didn't start late. I started climbing when I was 18. Yeah. And, but I just, every time I think about it, like all the time and the bullshit I did in high school, I was just, oh. I'm just like, God damn, what, what if yeah. I had like had this stoked and yeah. I had a mountain run? Cause I grew up in, in Chicago. Right. And, but then I also the then FOMO. Right. And then yeah. I, and then I envision, you know, who is it that I just, talked to that was like oh it was chris mcnamara uh-huh and uh you know he was big wall climbing in his teens right yeah and he lived in you know a nice part of san francisco and like just i said to the valley and well and i said you know he went and climbed like the west face like early on and just got completely worked and then you know was back in class like you know eight hours later because they had to drive like straight back or something like yeah. that <laughs> and i was like well what was that like like you're just sitting in class with all these people, you know, whose concerns are just completely lightweight compared yeah. to like what just happened to you. Yeah, totally. And he was just like, yeah, it was, I, it was an epiphany. I was just like, I couldn't, I was like, yeah. I don't know anything about anything these people are thinking about right now. Yeah. Was there anything like that with uh, you? Like I, yeah, totally. I mean, I had tons of weekends where I'd have some like really, you know, extremely exhausting get back home at like 3 a.m. Monday morning kind of thing and. And yeah, show up at school and I wouldn't ever even like try to, you know, tell like school friends about that kind of thing. Cause it's right. just like impossible, you know, right. but it, it, I don't know. It makes your Monday a lot better to be just like kind of reliving this awesome weekend. You just sure. Had. But yeah. I mean, I get the, that kind of FOMO too, you know, cause it's all relative. Like, um, you know, like looking at Europe you know, where you don't necessarily need a driver's license to go climbing because you can get there on the train and stuff. Like, right. You are, do you know who um, Simone and Samuel Anthematen are? No. They're like super badass Swiss brothers. And it's like, you know, those guys grew up in Zermatt. They're like pretty much the same age as me, but they were basically climbing on real mountains since they were like nine years old. Sure. Not like the Cascades, but, right. you know, awesome, super alpine peaks. and Right. I remember um, going to the climbing gym one time when I was 15 with my cousin and his dad and and their like youth coach or whatever asked me, hey, like you should join our like youth climbing team. And I was like, wow, that'd be awesome, you know? And I went home and like gave my dad the little like brochure he had given me and my dad's like, ah, I don't really want to pay for that and I don't want to have to drive you to Ballard, so nah. Right. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'd be such a better rock climber probably. Yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm sure you got, it sounds like you got a fair bit done. Yeah, you know, so, it's like yeah. you can always have Who knows, it better maybe, or worse. You know, maybe you'd be some like skinny comp climber now. Right, so, yeah, maybe yeah, I would right. have like gotten too distracted by it. <laughs> right, so who knows the paths you go. All right, so let's let's move to Patagonia um, a little bit. Like we'll fast forward to whenever that happened, yeah. so to speak. I can only imagine that it was always there. I mean, if you're reading the literature, oh, if yeah. you're looking at the magazines, it's always there. I was dreaming of Patagonia. For yeah. A so long what? Time. Ha- what? Tell me about sort of when you made this dream happen. Um, yeah, my first trip down there was my um, freshman year of university, mm-hmm. and um, a friend of mine, Bart Paul, was down there guiding, and he's one of these guys I climbed with in high school who was only like five or six years older than me. Right. 
And he was down there with a client and he sent me an email. He's like, hey, you should come down here and climb. And, you know, it didn't take me a moment to decide. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to go. Sure. <laughs> I'd been dreaming about Patagonia forever. And um, so I just went down there over my Christmas break, which, you know, is only like two weeks. But you kind of ask your professors to take your finals early. Usually you can skip the first week of the next quarter. And so I, I had like, I think two and a half weeks actually in Chalten. Sure. Although not in Chalten because back then we stayed up in base camps. Mm -hmm. But um, it was amazing. I was 19 years old. We uh, we did the Willens route on Poinsonat, the Amy route on Kishime, and the Austrian route on De Las. And those are like three of the easiest routes in the whole range. They're like the classic introduction to Patagonia routes. Sure. But at the time, like climbing Poinsonat was you know, by far the most exciting thing I'd ever done. And the whole trip, like, totally blew my mind. And Yeah, well, I mean, for two and a half weeks, that's a, that's a pretty good hit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Regardless of how hard Yeah, I mean, are. like, yeah. they're easy routes, but we yeah. were super motivated. Right. And, you know, like, right. we climbed points to not wearing ski goggles, and it was awesome. What, for the style, or because it was actually No, because it was like... Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to get a <laughs> goggle tan. To, yeah. <laughs> You know, that actually happens in Chamonix. You'll see, like, uh, Swedish college girls, like, laying on laying lawn chairs. Laying out with the goggles on. Yeah, like a bikini and goggles. Yeah, so they can go home and, and yeah, talk, talk about, about their, their season in Cham. Nice. Well, yeah, so let's progress through that then because to a certain extent, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, but the word obsession comes to mind for me in terms of, of this, like, singular focus on Patagonia and yeah. – it's come to fruition in the last few years for you in terms of, of probably climbing, you know, dream ascents in yeah. terms of this kid who was 12 and reading the books. Right. So yeah, take me through that. So you have this great first trip. Yeah. I missed the year after that. And then my second trip was in 2005 and I basically haven't missed a season since plus mm -hmm. one winter trip. And you know, it, it was basically a progression, you know, it wasn't like I was just bumbling. And then one day I was like sending, the super rad stuff. Right. Um, my second trip, it was two years later and I had spent a month that fall in Yosemite and I was way more prepared than I'd ever been before. And, and that time we climbed, it was really good. I, I did Gijeme, Mermoz, Fitz, Exupery and Raphael with um, my friend, Mark Westman. Okay. And, um, and so that like by the end of my second trip, I had basically climbed all, seven of the Fitzroy peaks, the main right. ones, like the ones that Tommy and Alex traversed in that movie. Right. And at that point I was like, okay, now I'm finally ready. Um, because my real dream was to climb Cerro Torre. Right. And so my third trip, I finally went down there with that as the objective. That was with Kelly and, um, and we climbed it and we climbed this kind of like unfinished link up of ice routes on the South to West face. And, it was like at the time by far the best climb I'd ever done. It was amazing. And it was like fulfilling for me this decade old dream of climbing Cerro Torre. And the season after that, I ended up later in the season partnering with Rolo and doing the Torre Traverse with him. Okay. Hold so on. basically like that's a lot of like mumbo jumbo, but right. you know what I mean is that each of those first four trips mm -hmm. was dramatically more successful than the previous one right so it, it was like it was totally uh like logical progression and so a couple things before we get 
too far out yeah. there. And the, and the list is we're just like, why not? You climb right, the yeah. Sarah, what? And then the butt, and then the fits something. Yeah, and totally. then, but so a couple questions. First of all, each of these trips, you know, you made these leaps afterwards. Yeah. Um, like that sounds like normal, but also how much were you walking away even on that first trip of, of, you know, flying home, you're on the plane going, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this if I want to go further. Yeah, totally. Like every trip that I had there and even to this day, like, you know, every time I get a sense of how I need to improve to like do the things that I want to do and, and the things that I want to do, you know, keep getting harder as I improve as well. But mm -hmm. my first trip down there, I was basically like a good alpine climber who could kind of rock climb. Right. And like I said, like for me, the limiting factor of what I can do in Patagonia is really my rock climbing abilities. And then my second trip, it was like I specifically went down to Yosemite for a month beforehand and, and it like made all the difference in the world for me and. Yeah, I don't know. Every time I was like, oh, if I want to do that, I really need to get better. And for me, that pretty much in every case meant get better at free climbing granite quickly. Okay. Um, but I guess if there's like one really significant moment, it's that when I teamed up with Rolo in 2008, that was like a big eye opener for me because, I mean, for one, we accomplished a climb without a doubt one of my best accomplishments. And say that again, what it was. That was the first descent of the Torrey Traverse. Okay. And it's something that at the time, two Colin Haley's wouldn't have had a chance to pull off and two Rolos would have done it probably a day faster. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, right. like, it's something that I'm extremely proud of, but I'm also realistic in knowing that it was Rolos thing. And like, right. I was good enough to be a good partner for him, but... You know, I wasn't realistically good enough to pull it off myself. Right. Um, but anyways, like it opened my eyes, one, because it was just a an objective way harder than anything I'd ever done before in my life. And Rolo was the most impressive climber I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, you know, he was just technically way better than anyone else I'd ever climbed with before. And so dialed on every little detail of strategy and equipment and techniques and and so motivated and and so well researched and and he had a humongous influence on me and um i basically like left that trip in 2008 kind of with a clear idea of if i want to do the things that i really dream of here i basically just need to become more like rollo <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So I have a couple of questions. I want to go back. So you do, before you do the traverse, you, you, you do Saratore yeah. uh, with Kelly. Yeah. And that was the dream. That was the motivator, yeah. you know? And of course for, you know, thousands of alpinists, that's, that's the dream. Yeah. Why can you, I mean, why aren't you done? <laughs> um, why didn't you, you know, cause I mean, there's all these ranges in the world to climb in. There's all these places to go. And right. Why do I keep going back? Why? There? And yeah, not yeah. just then, not just now, but then like, what was it that you said? All right, well, boink tag that summit. Right. And you know, cause if you're like most climbers, it wasn't six months later, you were thinking about the next trip, but hiking out, you were thinking about oh, the yeah, next trip. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what do you think? I mean, well, what I do mean, you think it is, I think it's a few things, you know, I'm not like, uh, you know, much of a romantic, but 
really the mountains there are so spectacular and so beautiful. You know, there's not that many places where simply the visual beauty of a place is so amazing that it's a strong pull to return to the same spot. Mm -hmm. So that's a big factor. But more than anything else, it's the quality of the climbing. Because, you know, like I was saying, alpine climbing is usually kind of about the whole journey and not about individual pitches. Mm -hmm. And if there's anywhere where alpine climbing is somewhat about the individual pitches, it's Patagonia. Because okay. There, the pitches you're climbing often would actually be classics at a crag. Right. The rock is basically as good as it ever gets in the mountains anywhere. The ice is basically as good as it ever gets in the mountains anywhere. And the challenge is immense, and that's just exciting mm -hmm. and motivating. And I don't know. It's just like the perfect package. And I also really like that climbing in Patagonia is kind of an amalgamation of every type of climbing. Sure. You know, a lot of people are, say they strive to be well-rounded climbers, and that's certainly true for me as well. Mm -hmm. And to succeed in Patagonia, especially on the Serratore group, you have to be good at like almost everything. You know, you have to have enough experience in big mountains to really know how to be efficient and survive up there. And you have to be good at ice climbing. You have to be good at rock climbing. You have to know how to aid climb. You can climb in Alaska and you get some of that, but not the rest. And you can climb in Yosemite and you get some of it, but mm -hmm. not the rest. It's like the whole package. Yeah, no, that occurred to me. Uh, I talked to Emily Harrington earlier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's she's like shaking off the, the little gym climber girl thing and, and climbed El Cap now and climbed in the Himalaya. And she's going back to the Himalaya to do, you know, something a little little more big and not taller, but bigger. Right. And that, you know, sort of sense than Everest and you know I brought that up with her I was like well what about Patagonia like you see it sound like you're collecting the skills you know the big wall free climbing skills and the altitude and the snow and everything else and she was like oh yeah that's in in the plan you know <laughs> seems like a logical next step yeah because <laughs> in exactly what you said because yeah. you can't just go down there with one or the other yeah you and know? you know like and, and expect to do like you know the the big stuff yeah and it's true that Patagonia isn't as adventurous as lots of other places to go alpine climbing you know like it's one mountain range that sees so much attention sure. that compared to like all sorts of places in alaska and mm -hmm. the himalaya it's like kind of you know quote unquote climbed out but you could have even said that 30 years ago because even then it saw way more attention than all sorts of other places right. but it's just so good like right. the actual quality of the alpine climbing is off the charts there it's like what Seyuz is to sport climbing, mm -hmm. Chalten is to alpine climbing. Right. Well, that's interesting because I've heard that a number of times and there's so much, you know, the, I don't know if it's the ethos or if it's the mode or whatever of alpine climbing is like, you know, we're going to start here and we're, we're going to climb this thing and we're going to get through these pitches. Right. We're going to get past that hard part or yeah. everything else. And, and so much of what people talk about in Patagonia is that, yeah, I'm going to actually, when we get there, we're actually going to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not going to be awesome if the weather's bad, but, you know, when I talked to, to, to Hayden about, you know, doing the, the, what is it, the Southeast Ridge? Yeah. You know, they, he like literally said, yeah, we were up there and there were times when I was just like, wow, I'm left like rock climbing and having a good time. Yeah, totally. You and know? I mean, like, when I'm like trying a route that's hard for me down there, I'm still usually in the kind of like 
you know, like berserker warrior mode where it's just like, go as fast as I can and like, I'll enjoy it later. But still, it's very different from, you know, climbing in the Canadian Rockies where you're like terrified of your belay ripping out, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. So another question I had kind of circling back on what, what you were talking about earlier, your partnership with Rolo, you know, it's it's actually become, you know, over the years since then, it's like, okay, those guys are at it again. You know, I talked to talked to Peter Croft, right. um, and he, he kind of talked about, you know, Backer, like, calling him up, you know, being, he was in awe of Backer, and, and then suddenly Backer, like, was like, hey, you want to try this climb, you know? Yeah, totally. W- was it anything like that? I mean, you had to have gone down there like, oh, Rolo's the man. Yeah, of course. And so, you know, what was that like to sort of have this, create a relationship with the guy and then have the guy trust you to go like, let's go try this thing? Yeah, I mean, um, cause it's, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an acknowledgement of your skill, but it's a, it's a trust thing too. Yeah, and, totally. Oh, more than anything. You know, I met Rollo my second trip down there mm-hmm. and then again, my third trip and, you know, he, I'm sure, like, recognized that, like, my second trip was, like, pretty successful. And then my third trip was quite good. We climbed this kind of unfinished thing on Cerro Torre. And so I think he, he saw that progression. And we got along well. But, yeah, still, like, he barely knew me. Mm-hmm. And basically, in that season, like, 2007 to 2008, he had already tried the Traverse with Hans Johnstone and gotten pretty far. And they were stormed off. And he was going to try it with, with Bruce Miller, and they never got a window, and Bruce went home. And, you know, so those were, like, his first choices. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, I mean, I went down to Patagonia with um, my friend Maxime Turgeon, mm-hmm. and we, we had actually a really good trip ourselves. But basically, Rollo had run out of his partners, and then Max and I were about to take off, and Rollo was like, hey, why don't you, like, stay down and try the Traverse with me? Mm-hmm. And I was about... I was going to be like sitting in class at UW four days later. And I was like, fuck yeah. Right on. And so I like immediately dropped all my courses and like changed my ticket. And, you know, it's a total cliche expression, but it was kind of the opportunity of a lifetime for me because it was kind of the climbing objective that I found more inspiring than anything else in the world. Like I already knew that I really wanted to do the Troy Traverse. And Rolo was basically the most capable climber on earth for that objective. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, Rolo trusted me. We basically roped up for the very first time um, at the base of Sarah Stanhart starting the Tory Traverse. Really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like I said, that's some trust. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I mean, both your parts. You know, and I think it's like within the alpine climbing community, you know, sometimes you go on blind dates like that. and Yeah, but that's and, a hell of a blind date, dude. Yeah, like, but you know, <laughs> often like you just, when you know what other people have climbed you know that you can't really like get there being an idiot and like, sure, you know, and so you kind of like, it can go wrong, of course, and you cannot get along, but you, you can at least have a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And that, what year was that? That was January, 2008. Okay. 2008. So a while ago. Yeah. Right. And yet the seasons march on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think it'll make for a very good podcast if we just go through every just go one, of my one by trips. one by one. And actually, you know, the fact is, is that we, you have to go to the airport 
Um, although, although based on this weather, I'm guessing that maybe there'll be some delays over there. And either way, we have like a pretty um, good buffer of time. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we can't just march along. And then I climbed this, and then right. I did a bigger thing, and then I did the, a ratter thing. Right. Um, but you know, you, let's fast forward because it, you have been there every season since then. Because yeah. you only said you missed that one. Yeah. All right. Um, what are you, what are you funding all this with? Are you guiding? <laughs> Um, no. So when I was climbing with Rolo and again for, um, like the next two seasons after that, Mm -hmm. I was at school at university of Washington and I was working part-time at a climbing store. Okay. Um, but that is not enough to like fund everything. Basically my parents gave me enough money to live in the dorms. Mm-hmm. but gave it straight to me. Right. But they were like, that's like the fair amount to support you while you're getting a college degree. And so I instead um, just lived really cheap. I slept on a friend's living room floor for a hundred bucks a month and ate cheap food and like saved all that money for my climbing trips. And then like supplemented with like working at this climbing store. That's I, like the unromantic thing, but I always <laughs> like to ask it. Yeah. Because, you know, we're talking to climbers on this show. Yeah. And we're talking to... To people who are and sitting they want to know going, how to like, like make it happen. Oh, is that all I have to do, right. or whatever? So yeah. I, you know, it's kind of a nuts and bolts question. Totally, that's unromantic, but it's important. Yeah, because it's it's. I mean, for a lot of people, it's the question. Yeah, like I want to be a climber and I want to do those things, but I can I quit my job? Can I not you know pursue these things and do it? So right. that that's kind of the reason I ask. Yeah, it's just to see what what the deal was. You know, but yeah, I also like was always doing these trips on kind of like the cheapest budget possible. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's, um, let's move ahead then. Um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about this last season and maybe, sure. maybe it isn't all that rad. In well, your whole, whole thing, but past season I'd say is like the best Patagonia season I've ever had. And okay. the best climbing trip I've ever had period. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll give you, like, the super condensed version. Basically, That's fine. I climbed this We're going to be season. washed away here in, like, 20, <laughs> like five minutes anyway. It's, like, a completely, like, torrential downpour yeah. outside right now. I need to get back to Seattle for some sunny weather. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, basically, this past season, I partnered up with, for the kind of main portion of my season, I climbed with two different super talented people. Mm-hmm. The first one being Marc-Andre Leclerc. Probably you've never run into him. I know. Uh, we've yeah, communicated on email, actually. Cool. Yeah. 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 And, He's a fan of the show. Yeah. And then with Alex Honnold. Okay. And... Uh, who? Yeah. Who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's basically everything came together perfectly this season because so much of alpine climbing is about different factors coming together all at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, because there's so many different things that have to combine for success. And so this past season, one of the most important is to have a good partner. And both Marc-Andre and Alex are incredibly talented. Mm -hmm. And so for this whole two-month period, I had basically perfect climbing partners. And then there was a ton of good weather, which is another one of like the key elements. And there was really good conditions. And everyone was super motivated. And it's like all of that has to happen at the same time. And all of that happened kind of like perfectly week after week this past season. And basically like kind of the main highlights are that 
Mark Andre and I made the first ascent of the reverse Torrey Traverse. So climbing the same peaks that Rollo and I had in 2008, but the opposite direction. So climbing the faces we had repelled right. and repelling the faces we had climbed, basically. Sure. I mean, you might as well just clean it up. Right. <laughs> but it was cool because it's like totally different terrain. You right. Because you're, you're, you're on a, a different aspect. So it's. Yeah. And totally changes right. the nature of the climb right. because the original Torrey Traverse is climbing north faces and repelling south faces, which in South America means climbing rock. And whereas the reverse the ice and snow, yeah. yeah. Whereas the reverse Torrey Traverse was pretty much all ice and mixed climbing and repelling the rock. That's had been kind of my big biggest project in Patagonia for the mm -hmm. past mm -hmm. four or five years. And then, like um, a week and a half or two weeks later, Mark Andre and I made the first complete ascent of the north face of Cerro Torre, which again was something I'd been scheming for years, and you know nothing. It never came together just right. And that means that. All, everything else had come from the Cola Conquest? Or um, what does that mean exactly? No. So, um, yeah. Or is there some bench that people ba skip? North, the north face of Cerro Torre was essentially, and like for all like honest purposes, climbed for the first time in 2005 by Rolo, of right. course, with Hermano Salvaterra right. and Alessandro Veltrami. And Salvaterra is, of course, like another one of the like Patagonian legends. Sure. And the only reason I say that we made the first complete ascent of the North Face is because the original route, El Arca de los Vientos, traversed out on the Northwest Face and then rejoined. Okay. So we basically just climbed a new variation. Straightened to, it out or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like, I don't really consider like the new terrain that we climbed to be like the most important part of it. I actually am more proud simply of the fact that we repeated Arca de los Vientos. Right. Because it had been 10 years and still no one had repeated it. Right. But anyways, that was the second really big one. And then the third really big one this season was with Alex. And it wasn't actually a success. Um, we failed in our objective. But, you know, um, it was still probably the most amazing single day of climbing I've ever had. In that we tried to repeat the original Toy Traverse. Um, the one I did with Rolo, but as a day trip, no baby gear. Okay. And the first ascent with Rolo was a four-day climb, and we tried to do it without baby gear, and we were stormed off two pitches from the end, like it was basically in the bag. Uh huh. Twenty hours after starting, so I just like climbing with Rolo, like really opened my eyes. Like climbing with Alex kind of gave me a bit of a paradigm shift as well. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, you know, pe people are going to get to see the, the Torrey Traverse movie with Alex and, and Tommy in the... Or the Fitz Traverse. I mean, the Fitz Traverse yeah. movie with Alex and Tommy in the the Real Rock that's coming up. Um, I was lucky enough to see a version of it at Five Point in Carbondale. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's such a trip. You know, have you, did you end up seeing that film? Yeah, I saw it yeah. last night. Yeah. yeah. And just like, I mean, and they probably play this up a little bit, but just like how a, out of his element he is in the beginning right. and then how adaptable he is to the whole process yeah. as he goes through. And it's just like, cause even Tommy in his presentation now cites that as like this eye opener for him. Right. Like, yeah. This guy's unstoppable. Right. You know, like literally. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so is that kind of like what you're talking about? Like this kid, this guy's like, Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean it is, it has been like amazing to see how capable he is on terrain that he's unfamiliar with, mm -hmm. like how quickly he basically learns how to do it. 
Like we were simul climbing across 50 degree ice slopes with one piece between us. Right. Which, you know, a lot of people who've been alpine climbing for years would be like totally like freaked out and sketched out. And right. Alex was just like, sure, whatever, you know. Yeah. So like it is, it has been amazing to see how quickly he adapts to alpine climbing. But for me, it was more like, just like, fuck, like when you're that good at rock climbing, you can do such amazing things that otherwise are like totally unachievable, mm -hmm. which in our case was, we basically simul climbed all this stuff that I never would have dreamed of simul climbing before. Right. And, you know, that's so basically- So it, it like classically like upped your game. Yeah. I mean, it right. didn't make me a better climber, but it, it showed me like kind of a new idea of how one can approach even these like mm -hmm. really big, hard alpine climbs. All right, so you got two pitches from the, from the end before you would have descended off of the last peak. Yeah. And, and you're certainly going to go try to do it again, right? Next year. We've already been scheming about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's classic because like, <laughs> of course you are. I mean, it's the whole like attempt is right. a long story in total, but the super short version is, when we turned around, we really did not want to turn around because we had done this, we had basically done this really awesome achievement mm -hmm. and we were so close. We were like, fuck, we want to finish this. But the reason we turned around is because it was properly bad. Like right. the worst it wasn't a joke. storm it wasn't like that I've ever been cold. high up on a mountain in. Okay. And we, because of that, we had to bail down the opposite side of the mountain out onto the ice cap and then have this like super grueling trek along the ice cap and then back out to civilization a different way. And our, our tent in the valley was completely blown away mm -hmm. and destroyed. And it ended up being a 53 hour push. And, and Alex was, still wants to go back. Well, what I was going to say is like, <laughs> after that, he was just like, I'm never fucking doing this again. He's like, I'm going to sell my better as he's like, he was like, yeah. And then, yeah, now he's really stoked. Right on. <laughs> of course. The memory, the, the alpinist memory. He's yeah. got that. He's got oh, the yeah. lack of alpinist memory. It's super just classic. washed it away. Yeah. I've had like so many times soloing where like I've been like, what the fuck am I doing? This is, I'm, I'm going to stop soloing after this climb. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, even within like big rock climbing, that's like just, you know, standing like, I've never been this cold. It's horrible. Like, <laughs> this is bullshit. And the next day it's like, that was pretty rad. Yeah. Like, you know, but so. Can I just kind of go back to your dad? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he introduced you to climbing. It was never his thing. Like, is he still around? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's his opinion now? You're you're like one of the most accomplished alpinists literally in the world, whether you want to, you know, admit it or not. Yeah. What's his opinion now? This kid, he, he started climbing in the mountains in, um, in your pursuits. I mean, I think he's like... Uh proud that i've at least like done a good job of what i've chosen as my path but i but think you should have been a windsurfer i i think he wishes <laughs> i like went to caltech and became a physics phd or something like right that. <laughs> it's not too late um no it's not too late you know maybe right. someday i will right <laughs> did you finish school i finished a bachelor of science yeah okay yeah. Well, come on yeah it's just like you know like in my family like the uh kind of uh, expectation of education is pretty high. All right. Well, it's not it's not too late. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll give him a call. And let him know. <laughs> and and I'm going to do one last question and I think this you know, we are running out of times and that might be helpful in this case, but sure. um you know, my show started with 
you know, one of the big things that did the push on this show was talking to Hayden Kennedy when he came back from chopping sure, Saratore. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily want to ask you some big wide open question about that. Right. I want to actually ask you your opinion on, on something that I feel like I've noticed. Okay. You know, for better or worse, and, you know, we can all go back and read the thousand posts on right. Supertober or whatever. It feels to me, and maybe this is a coincidence, and that's, I guess, what I'm asking you, is that that, in fact, did sort of like kick open a door on people doing ratter stuff and approaching Saratoria in a different way. Do you think that's a coincidence, or do you think it had anything to do with like shutting that off and, and, and forcing people out onto the fringes? Hmm. Or um, is it, or is it just a matter of like the weather's been better? Right. And, and it's a and nice shits, idea, shits, yeah. And that's what I want to know. It's certainly I'm not to it. I'm it just, certainly has, um, like maybe increased the number of people who go and climb the west face of Saratori. Okay, which is an amazing, like basically the coolest ice climb on mm-hmm. earth. Um, but I think it hasn't really like changed how many people are like going to try like super rad new stuff on the okay. Torres. I think it's more that there's been so much good weather. Basically, since 2008, there's been a lot of really good seasons. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more people going down there and a lot of super talented people. So, I don't know. It's Patagonia is just kind of having a bit of a new age renaissance. Right. And I think there's just a lot of talent and a lot of good weather. Did it change anything? Um... I mean, it changed, I think, a lot less than people would think. You know, right. it's it really just changed one side of one mountain. And um, I don't think it changed the broader sense of what Patagonian climbing is like or how people approach it. Or, right. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious because yeah, yeah. I'm a total armchair yeah. away from it all. And, and just, and like I said, it's kind of integral to the Enormacast because yeah. it was like the thing that was the first thing that people were like what the hell is this thing and right. Hayden's on it and that guy's a jerk and I'm gonna listen to it or whatever <laughs> right. so um, yeah. I, was I mean curious. I guess one thing I'll say is that you know obviously there were all sorts of like social ramifications right of the yeah bolt certainly removal. and um Jason has been back to Chalten since then but Hayden hasn't yet right and you know he t- they took a lot of shit for that oh, and yeah. like <laughs> even know. if you're like thick-skinned and you know that you believe in what you did like it you know, everyone's human and it like sucks to like have so many people like kind of be mean to you. Right. And, um, I hope that Hayden like, uh, doesn't get too down about it. Cause I think they did an awesome thing and, you know, I would have loved to have done it myself someday if I kind of had the like ability to like first prove that it was doable without those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have been scared to remove the bolts because I n- knew that it would cause a big controversy. And so, like, I kind of view them as, like, having done a super honorable and a super honorable thing that caused them a lot of kind of grief. Right. And, um, but just, I was thinking about that because you're talking about, like, kind of these next level climbs being done in Patagonia. And one of the people who can really be doing next level stuff down there is Hayden. So, right. I hope he comes down again soon. All right. Well, hopefully he'll listen. <laughs> yeah and uh i don't know how he feels about it these days but uh hopefully he'll come back you have your tickets yet what you mean like printed no for patagonia oh, um no not yet okay. but actually i like i need to email my uh landlord down there to 
book up my apartment. Awesome. <laughs> All right, well, have a great season this season, and Thanks. hopefully you'll uh, get those last two pitches done. Yeah, and hopefully. safely come down and. Uh, Really great to talk to you. I really appreciate you sitting down and, and being so open about all that stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thank you to Colin Haley for sitting down. There's a certain steadiness to Colin Haley that I find quite comforting, actually, even though we just sat across the table for that brief hour. I could feel it. Steady, solid guy. Anyway, standard message here. If you guys want to help out with the Enormacast, go to enormacast.com and click on the Help Out tab. There's a bunch of stuff you can do to help the podcast along. Little four-year-old podcast. Still still a little toddler, the Enormacast. Needs some help. And as usual, don't forget to check your knot. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So uh, my father's in the Army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, So what I've been doing lately is kickboxing. (laughs) 